Hey guys, welcome to the show. My name is Kristen. I'm your host and life coach, and this is Modern Day Asians. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Modern Day Asians. I'm Kristen, and today I have a special guest for you. Her name is Amy, and Amy was just in one of an outstanding play, um, and I have invited her to talk to our show, and she was so fantastic with her acting and her performance. I had to reach out to her and join us on an episode where we talk about things she's involved with in the arts right now, a little bit about her background, and then we'll go into this play that she um, had performed in. So Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you for having me. I wanted to start off with if you can introduce everyone a little bit about what you what do you do and your involvement with the arts, because I think it is so wonderful to see Asians be involved, like following the passions uh, and chasing the arts and doing what they love creatively, because that's just something that had always not been encouraged <laughs> with our parents. So was that your experience? Uh, very much so. Um, so my mother is from Taiwan and my father is um, from Japan. They met in the United States and uh, I was born in Ohio, but I was raised in Florida. So growing up, I was actually painfully, painfully shy, but I grew up in the stereotypical Asian household where I had to learn to play the piano mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I would, you know, sing and dance around the house. And my mom would say, no, 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 you need to practice the piano. That's more important. So growing up, I always had an inclination towards performing, but kind of like at home in front of the mirror because I was really shy. As I got older, a lot of my friends encouraged me to um, try theater and performing um, because they thought that would make me maybe be less self-conscious as far as like speaking in front of people and um, that sort of thing. Uh, Public speaking was a huge like deterrent for me. I was like deathly afraid of doing that. And so um, I had a few friends suggest that I audition for plays and I did in high school. It was a very, very small theater high school department. I got cast pretty quickly, you know, because it was such a small department. After that, I was kind of hooked and I um, majored in theater in college for a little while um, until the more pragmatic side of me said, maybe I should you know, switch my focus to something where I could have a steady job. And that's, Mm -hmm. that was, that's the Asian in me, of course. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I switched my focus to um, healthcare. Um, I'm actually a nurse anesthetist. So I went to nursing school and then I went to graduate school, um, anesthesia school in North Carolina. That's how I ended up here. Um, When I finished, I just, we just stayed in North Carolina because it's a nicer part of the country. Florida's kind of yucky right now, so. Yeah. Did your parents support you when you pursued theater? Did they come to your performances? and? Well, in high school, my parents would see my shows in high, in high school. In college, my mom saw one of the plays I was in, but I think that's honestly, that is the last time she has seen me perform. I was probably like 19 mm-hmm. as far as theater goes. They've never seen me in a show in North Carolina, but I've also not really encouraged it. Um, just because they, they still live in Florida. So it's, it would be, a, you know, a hike for them. But, but growing up, the arts were not encouraged in my house. Actually, when I told my mom I was going to major in theater, she was really, really mad at me, like really, really mad at me for a long time. And anytime I would come home, she would just 
talk about it constantly. Why don't you switch? Why don't you switch? Oh, it, it just, it was kind of hard the first, my first semester in college, but mm-hmm. eventually she kind of let it go. But I think her words always kind of resonated with me. And I did start to think once I got to college and it was more difficult to get cast in parts. I'm like, oh, this is just a, a smaller scale of a what it's going to be when I'm done with college. Like it's, you know, being an actor is not easy. It's a lot of rejection and it's, you know, worrying about paying the bills. And I was like, maybe I don't want to do that. So again, that's the pragmatic Asian side of me. So that's when I switched. And of course my mom was like totally happy after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, I wish she could have been supportive either way, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. Parents want us to to be able to have that steady job and provide mm-hmm. that sense of security. Mm-hmm. And but now you get to do both, right? So you're exactly, like, exactly, yeah. and on my own, and on my own terms. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I kind of, I do like that aspect. I have a steady job, but I can also pick and choose projects. I don't have to do everything and anything. Uh, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, perfect, it's a perfect mixture. Yeah. Exactly. So for folks who are listening, like sometimes, you know, you might have things that you're interested in and you could do a little bit of both, you know, this sometimes like you don't always have to choose like, oh, one way or the other. You can always find a way to funnel in things that um, you're passionate about. Yeah, you're passionate about. And that is so important to add in um, in your life. Right. We're we're constantly beings that do need to figure out. ways to bring in that steady income but leaving room to where you know you you're driving inspiration or passion from um, for me this podcast is an example of how, how I use some of my creativity ability that I don't get to use in my sales role and I channel it all through this podcast nice so Perfect. yeah See? it's all about balance <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah. the play is called The Chinese Lady. Mm-hmm. And I haven't told the listeners what that play is about. So you can just roughly give me like a quick summary of the char- the main character that you played. Sure. So The Chinese Lady is about uh, a Fong Moi. She was born in 1820, brought over to the United States at the age of 14 via Francis and Nathaniel Karn, who were um, American traders. Uh, They were in China and they, well, at that time in China, because of the opium wars and instability economically, it was not uncommon for families, even wealthy families to loan or let people purchase their daughters um, for a period of time with the idea that they would come back home. So Afong was one of these uh, girls. She was the youngest of seven children. So she was brought over to the United States at the age of 14. Um, and the Karn, brother, the Karn brothers used, used her um, as a sideshow. So at the time she was the first reported documented Chinese woman to arrive in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, they used her as a sideshow to display her bound feet, her exotic features, you know, Chinese clothing, things that were not ever seen before in the United States. So basically she performed every night in a show where she would demonstrate, you know, eating with chopsticks, um, walking on her feet and that sort of thing. Um, But after the two years, she was not returned uh, back home family. And so basically she uh, lived a life where she was forced to show until about 
until she was in her 20s, I believe. And then she was replaced by um, a, a, another 14-year-old girl with the same bound feet. So it's a pretty sad story. Mm-hmm. But it's about her journey from a young girl being hopeful and optimistic that she could share her uh, culture and her Eastern ideas with Americans and that they would open their minds to our culture. And of course, she does not succeed in that with the rise of anti-Asian sentiment at that time with um, many Americans feeling like they we took, you know, Chinese Chinese immigrants took jobs away from Americans because of the railroads and that kind of thing. The last half of the play is since there isn't a whole lot of information known about her after 1850, so after she was 30 years old, a lot of it is um, based in historical context after that. And as you saw the play, it's it's a wide range of emotions <laughs> from start to finish. So one of the moments that like really cashed for me when you were performing is it's just how optimistic you were about mm-hmm. your every day you're doing the same thing over and over again. Your attitude yes. is like, I just really want to be the best versions. I can't wait to show these people. Like I can't wait to be the ambassador of like right. bridging the gap. And I want to change these people's minds. You know, they're going to, yes. I want to bring our culture us. closer together. And that was the pressure that she set for herself. And it is just so wholesome. As we, I feel like as I get older, as an adult, I, I trust less and less people because everyone's got their motives. Agenda. Becoming, yeah, agendas. And we come from a place of hurt sometimes where I'm just, sometimes adults aren't as wholesome. We're talking about a 14-year-old girl who is a young lady and she literally her her goal like her passion is so that she could bridge the gap between the two cultures right and that itself is like so beautiful to me much my heart Mm -hmm. um and even though she's so excited tell the translator be a part of the performance where you would put on the you know the shows for the western people to be exposed to the culture and what also made me realize is that sometimes you would say something very extravagant very detailed very emotion and he would translate it to something that's more diluted absolutely and do you think that he did that for the sake of like trying to protect you what do you think his motive was when he kind of diluted what you said because what you said was very wholesome it was very intentional with good intentions and then he would translate it and then it wouldn't be the same exactly absolutely I think a tong a fong's translator who is uh, played by Stephen West Rogers he his goal is definitely to protect a fong so whether it's glossing over what someone is saying to her to protect her or whether what she's saying may not be quite appropriate to say to someone uh, like Andrew Jackson in the play, he would gloss that over too in order to protect her also so that she was not overstepping. So I totally think it comes from a place of like a paternal instinct or, or brotherly instinct as far as our show goes to keep her safe mm-hmm. and keep her um thinking positively and being optimistic because he knows that is definitely a healthier state of mind than Mm -hmm. 
reality at that in that time period for both of them. They both only had each other, most likely. They probably could only understand each other language-wise. And so we looked at it from that perspective. All they had was each other, so they needed to protect each other. And Take me through the process of from from your audition for this play and you getting to learn their character, you reading the script, what are some of your thoughts on the beginning phases before the show was put on? Okay. Well, Robin Tynes Miller, the director, um, she's also the managing director of um, Three Bone Theater, which is the company that uh, produced the show. I had known her for quite some time. She had given me uh, that script, The Chinese Lady, last year. Uh, it was late one night. I read it and I actually cried because I was obviously moved by the story, but I was also struck that I didn't know anything about this person in history. We are, we were, we are not taught that history in American schools. There's a, a line in the very last scene and it's, she says, I share my story with you in hopes that you might see some part of it as your own. And I did. And I was just like, no, I have to do it. I've done larger roles in the past, um, but not to this magnitude and not that, not this person personally significant for me. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of my accepting the role was like, can I do it? Can I do this? It's a lot. Can I do this? Can I, you know, um, and also will Charlotte audiences, you know, which is predominantly white, will they mm -hmm. want to hear a story like this? Do they even care about people that look like us? Once we, and that, that feeling actually continued throughout the beginning of the rehearsal process. So once we had that first audience and I saw how it was received, it was so positive, Kristen. Um, we were just so overwhelmed and it's, it was a really great experience. It'd be, it's hard to top. Like if I ever do a play again, I have to really be like, hmm, I would always compare it to this experience <laughs> for sure. When you read the script, what part of the play resonated with you? What was like, oh, gotcha moment where it's like, oh, I need to do this play. What resonated? One of the later scenes, it's scene five for us, but it was, we divided it into two sections because it was such a long scene. But the part where she's asked to leave because she's being replaced mm. uh, by the younger uh, girl. And she goes into this long thing about she's going to walk here. She's going to walk here. Um, and basically she's going to do it on her own terms. And she's going to take over the world, essentially, you know what I mean? But on my terms, like, I'll decide. I was like, that is so, it's such a stark difference from her being 14 and just, like, doing what she's supposed to do and being optimistic. And it's her realization that people are people and she can't change people. Do this for herself and prove to herself that she can do this. I think that was the turning point. And also, the very last scene, like I said, when it comes back full circle and she's just like, you know, this is my life and now it's 2023 and we're still going through the same things essentially in a more modern way but i wish honestly i i wish more asian americans had come to the show so they could see that there are stories about us and that we're important and that people need to hear it but i think the importance for me was just like no i have to tell the story people have to hear it i did some re on my own research for the month of um Asian Pacific Islander month like I challenged myself to look into um, the history of like Asian Americans and I came across the trans the Chinese exclusion acts but I never came across a Fong Moi at mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. in my research like it was just not even it's very um, she's very obscure 
a f- it, yeah it was not mm-hmm. even like a flag or an important person that mm-hmm. was that came up in any of my studies at all I think it just relates back to a lot of the Asian female experience too and there's a couple of things that came up for me too that I kind of have an issue with okay <laughs> I felt one of the touching moments for me was at the end of the play. I got really emotional because of what she said and she put the blame on herself mm-hmm. that she didn't help the situations any better. Um, and she put all that blame on herself. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, I really hope she didn't pass away thinking that it was her fault. <laughs> Or I'm I'm just really hoping because we we don't know where she is after yeah. she did um the tours and the performances and no one could find any documentation on her about her yeah after 1850 she's pretty much like wiped from the face of the earth so who knows yeah. who knows yeah and hope that she found her identity but not bringing that guilt to her in the afterlife that the yeah. fact that she didn't do enough to change um western perspective towards Mm -hmm. the chinese or asian people coming into america sometimes as a female we do put a lot of the blame on ourselves like no matter how hard we try her dedication to her entire life her entire career was to help bridge the gap between the two and the fuller story is if people or if she knew what was going on in the news because she's very like limited to what's happening in the world because everything is controlled by the the tour the production company that mm-hmm. sponsors her. But the truth is, with the Transcontinental Railroad, is that the Chinese were hired because none of the Westerners wanted to do the job. They were right. actually hired to do some of the worst parts of the job, risking their lives, throwing right. dynamite and blowing up parts of the mountain no one wanted to do. And they were that's dispensable. the same. Mm-hmm. Huh? They were dispensable. They didn't care. exactly yeah exactly yeah and what the westerners view too is like hey look at these oriental people they're small they're tiny they're not as strong as us westerners so Mm -hmm. um and and we have to pay them we can pay them less so that is why you know the market was there (laughs) blame the companies who did the hiring if you take the anger out on each other because again there was massacres that happened right too as well right and I didn't and I didn't even know about the massacres until I started doing this show and looking into the background of those things it's just it's hard to hard to read hard to yeah it's hard knowledge to have but necessary exactly and I um and now I like do my own research with past history because I'm like okay the world the American history that I learned in school like has written a lot of stuff out and has numbed the narrative down to as in we're not taking any kind of responsibility for any of the damages or the aftermaths of the wars and the causes that we've done to the human race. It's always about, oh, who won this war? This is what happened after the war, but not well, what happened to people emotionally after these wars. Sure. Like both sides suffered. Right. Um, and left that part out of the history. So I think it was really important because she didn't know what was happening, what was causing all these conflicts. And it's really that scarcity mindset of, oh, the jobs are here. The foreigners are taking the jobs away. And we have this hatred towards the people who actually 
would do the job because they need them the money. And that's the same attitude we have towards Hispanics these days. Mm-hmm. Um, was saying like, oh, they're they're taking um all the jobs and things like that. But if you look again at certain jobs, there's a reason why a lot of the um residential construction is all Hispanic people. There's a reason, you know, because people there's not enough options to hire people to do the that hard labor anymore, right? Same story, different groups of people, different groups of minority, and a mm-hmm. certain group of people control the narrative. Sure. How how beneficial it is for certain groups of people to stay on on top of that power who control our narratives who control the history books the the tv that we watch um everything that we're exposed to gets controlled by a certain group of people and it hasn't changed no not one bit my other scene that was very cringeworthy was the scene with the president yes andrew jackson from what i heard through historical books and recordings and, and things like that. The conversation went, he was under the assumption that your character in the play, Afong Moy, had the power to go back to China and tell the society to stop binding their feet. It's not necessary. Mm-hmm. And then like to go back to China, literally to go back to China and tell her people to stop binding her feet. I did not know that. Mm. Just how ignorant that sounds. It's like, do you think that she had she a choice to go choice. back to China for Right. But it's that same attitude. I grew up in the 90s. Mm-hmm. All right. But I grew up in very white spaces. And mm-hmm. I hear that all the time. Go back to where you come from, like this and this. Oh, yeah. your English is so good for um someone who looks like you. Where oh are you gosh. really from? Yes. I get comments like that all the time mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. For the president, Still that's exists. what he said yeah. Yeah. to her in their uh-huh. meeting. And I think to a degree, me and probably you have been raised to sort of um, allow that ignorance. But why? You know what I mean? Like, um, I I have been those comments that you just mentioned have been, yeah, I mean, I've experienced them also. Like um, what I do for a living, I'm a nurse anesthetist though. I mean, people say all the time, like, where are you from? And I'll tongue in cheek, I'll say Florida, which is where I'm from, but I know that's not what they mean. <laughs> and, um, uh, or they'll say, well, your English is really good for, you know, you know, how long have you been in the United States? And I was like, well, I was born here. So I just, I kind of, I shouldn't forgive it as much as I do, but as far as Andrew Jackson saying that and thinking that she had, I guess, you know, I'm not, I'm not excusing him, but I guess he had a very tunnel vision of what China was. I mean, he's probably, he's probably the first, she was, Afong was probably the only Chinese woman he's ever seen at that point. So maybe he just thought she was like the, the go-to. It's cringe because he told like who asked him for his opinion? Yeah, you know who what cares? I mean? exactly. Well, he's the president. Obviously, you want his opinion. <laughs> but yeah, Afong was proud of her feet. Yeah, it was tradition, you know. So, at some point, does she reveal her her feet to other people, like unbind them or anything like that? A report. Uh, 
one of the cities that she was touring in, I, I can't remember, was it, it might've been in South Carolina. I can't remember, but at that point there was some anti-Asian sense, anti-Chinese sentiment on the rise at that period of time in her life. And I think there was a question of whether her feet were really bound as small as they were. So I know in one of those shows, she was forced to unbind her feet and show people as proof that they were really that small. And of course, culturally, that's, that's horrible. That's a no-no. And that's a, it's a huge invasion of your space, of, your, of yourself. So I think after that, from what I understand, she did start to become more outspoken about her opinions on you know, Western things like corsets and the slave trade and, and that kind of, you know, mocking me about this, but look at you guys, you're doing similar things in different ways, but why are you better than me? And that kind of thing. And I think there's reports that she was pretty feisty and would say things turn or out of place, but she felt like she, and of course she did have the right to say that. So we talked about her fiery spirit a lot in rehearsal and I tried to you know, bring some of that to the show because I just, for the time period, I think that's great. You know what I mean? And back then, like, you're not able to show certain body parts anyways because right. of their dress code, very more concealed. Women in corsets were able to show their ankles. I don't think so. Yeah. But to just be like, show me your feet. my naked feet. Like, yeah. no, it was. There you go. It's, um, it definitely like, is sickening transgression oh yeah it's definitely sickening absolutely it was not right right oh. or even like when andrew jackson was like i don't let me touch your feet like no hard scene to block because at first we were actually like stephen was actually touching my feet and then we were like maybe that's too much and so we blocked it the way we did to be a little more modest i guess modest <laughs> and sensitive to the inappropriateness of the situation i find it that it was really it was really maddening to me how the media has portrayed her as almost like a circus freak right and that was like that propaganda that was pushed out to get people come look at this tiny little exotic mm -hmm. person that yeah. looks very opposite of people who are already in america mm -hmm. and you would see people in the media like movies dragon lady some of this like exotic prostitutes or things like that into movies and we're not seen as people we're seen as objects to try to conquer someone that's so dangerous you know oh you really want to have her but you can't have her mm -hmm. because they're too different they're not seen as actual people but like literally the exotiness a sexualization that people obsess over sure which is the narrative that's built on after Afang Moy and her show. Mm -hmm. And obviously you, we can't control, she couldn't control what the audience thought about her. Mm -hmm. But I'll say that the propaganda did not help at all because they were trying to pull in more people to come of see course. her. Right. Come see her. She's marketed show. as like a freak show. Yeah. When you were in your process of developing this character, like has any moment crossed over to you where you thought that she might have experienced people who were at the shows that will um, not respect her for when she's doing her performances? Very much so. Very much so. Um, I do think um, 
she was probably sexualized, maybe more so as she got older. Um, there's actually a part in the script that we did not um, we we did not do the costume change, but I think it's when she's 29 years old. And I think there's like a little direct little stage direction that says perhaps her costume has changed to become more appealing to men or something like that. And uh, we we didn't do that, but um, definitely I think she was as she got older and maybe the appeal of her lessened. I'm sure P.T. Barnum or the Carn Brothers, whoever had employed her at that point, were trying to use other things about her to allure to you know lure people to come and see her and also there's a part in the play which I don't know I don't think that this we don't know if this is true because we don't know if I don't think a tongue really existed but I mean she had a translator but I, but he says I see the way women look at her but I see the way men look at her too there was definitely that yeah okay yeah. so let's unpack that how did the woman see her per se right I think they I think they saw her different, maybe like a like a freak show with her feet. And, you know, her eyes are different than ours. Her um, features are different than ours. And, and look at her feet and that kind of thing. Maybe there was some jealousy there at times. And maybe there was some like relief that I don't look like that. Mm-hmm. But as far as the men go, I'm sure some of them felt the same way. But I'm, I definitely think there's probably some the allure of the exotic that can be sometimes today with men and Asian women what would it be like <laughs> that kind of thing she's experienced that that's like the first Asian woman in the U.S. and she's been exploited to do that already without her even really knowing what knowing she was she's doing being exploited yeah as I was doing research on her too as well it also made me think about as an Asian female that throughout history for long periods of time that women were less valued than men because I learned that she was the 14th, maybe the youngest, I believe, the youngest child. And I had heard that during the time before she, her parents, I think were merchants or something like that. And they experienced a natural disaster and they had trouble feeding all the kids. Mm-hmm. And I've heard this multiple times as my mother grew up in an age where there was that one child policy in China. And especially during times when if you had a a daughter, mm-hmm. you were so quickly just been dropped in a dumpster. Discarded. Because yeah. they value men. Mm-hmm. And um, now there's a big population imbalance because of a the one child policy did really really work and two there's a significant amount more men than women and just having trouble because of that big imbalance right of course and how sad it was her because she she was the expendable one right the most vulnerable Mm -hmm. and of course her parents did the best that they could do and make sure okay at least she would be fed she's the youngest and maybe this will be a blessing for her right and made that decision and then you know they thought she was coming back historians have said that usually the women would come back they would do Mm -hmm. their two years or whatnot whatever she um was spoken upon in the beginning of play and Mm -hmm. she would come back and she was supposed to come back 
Um, so the parents were just trying to do what was best for her at the time, but it didn't end right. up that way. That way. Mm-hmm. But that whole narrative that women are valued less and it's reinforced even down to me after three generations of um my family's side of family who are Chinese mm-hmm. and getting passed down and passed down and passed down. I just thought it was interesting to even back then it was yeah. it was the same thing. Right. I guess it's like an Eastern it's just like a cultural thing. I mean, you know, I mean, I feel that too. Um, definitely. I felt that growing up for sure. It was just me and my sister. Um, I was, I was the first one in my family to be born in the United States. Something happened or if anything, Amy, you do it. <laughs> Amy, you can <laughs> handle it. You know, Amy, you handle it. You take care of it. And then yeah. still to this day, you know, me as a middle-aged woman, you know, I'm, I still get kind of like not dumped on, but it's just expected of me as the oldest and to, to just do it. And I don't know if it would be the same if I was a boy. It would probably fall into the oldest woman, oldest, oldest female uh, sibling, but. Yeah, I felt I'm the oldest sibling too as well. And mm-hmm. I felt, and my, actually my brother is like one year younger than me, but I got all the maternal duties passed oh, yeah. on to me. Mm-hmm. And I just became the go-to person for everything. And like none of that responsibility fell on my brother, even though we were like a year apart. Not much difference in age, yeah. Yeah. And like some of those skills would have been more beneficial to him to be more of a leader. Yeah. I was forced to be like the leader because Mm -hmm. of of my age. But here's the thing. I feel that I don't know if my mom will actually like enforce this later, but at some point in our childhood, she mentioned how the male, the man, um, siblings whoever is the eldest son would get certain um heirlooms or hereditary stuff because he would be passing on the family name like he would be carrying the bloodline Mm -hmm. down the line and we wouldn't be able to because we're not men Mm -hmm. and and it's like kind of like when I was younger I was like what are you talking about like I'm doing all this work like you're just saying because of the difference in sex that the he's more that my brother gets yeah everything yeah um so I don't know if that was ever like talked about because you didn't have any brothers but like that was somewhat mentioned but I think like now my parents would split everything like equally and uh-huh. not be as like oh well you know you have a your younger brother is the eldest son in our family and he gets going to have everything he's going to have everything so they've changed they've progressed <laughs> they live in the united states i imagine yeah they live they've in progressed while even while living here they've kind of become a little more um americanized i guess in that aspect right yeah they're uh, they're americanized in like certain ways yeah they like in everything they're yeah. still um but i feel like in this point in time as we're all we're all, you know, anywhere from young adult to middle age now mm-hmm. that they're really starting to see how involved we are with their lives and things like that. So they're trying to to um, just be more like reasonable. Yeah, right. right. Rational. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. My mom made a reference. Um, gosh, we were talking about something. I have um, two nephews and a niece and they're 
you know, they're like 24, 20 and 14 or something. They're not, not, not little kids, but of course she talks about them like they're little kids, but um, she was saying something about the younger one and being like a tiger mom. She's like, oh, she's like, aren't you glad that I wasn't a tiger mom? And I'm like, you are, you were a tiger mom. <laughs> like, what is your definition of a tiger mom? Like, that is you, that is you. Yeah. Sure. is next to, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. She thought she was, she thought she was not a tiger mom, but she, she was probably a less version of what she thought was a tiger mom. Oh my gosh. Or the yeah. opposite. And it's like, no, it's- no, you were, I'm like, can we rewind back to 1999 when I was in college and you were, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my memory of my childhood is a lot different than my mom's memory of my childhood. Oh yeah. I think for you too, I'm sure. Yeah. I think all second generations yeah would agree with that <laughs> for sure oh gosh and it's something people don't I mean the majority of my friends are are white or um or black so it's something they don't quite understand the the black women do kind of understand but not the white women <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 it's like things that um you can talk to them about like expose mm-hmm. them to so they can understand and be more aware because honestly I think the issue with this country continue to say ignorant is that they're not being exposed to these opportunities and you know the narrative is like oh white people are just so shamed of like what they've done but a lot of don't know the aftermath of what has been done and they need to know what happened in the aftermath right right the damage that was caused right and they're not seeing what the damage is so Mm -hmm. you're people of color friends that have these conversations have you done any um asked your parents anything about their background and what their experience is like and starting to be curious about your cultural background and identity embrace each other's differences in my experience I'm so like conditioned to want to fit in with a certain group of people that if I I don't talk about it so I'm just not going to mention it courageous to share those differences so that they can learn something new right to share that information with your color friends or your white friends exactly Um, I mean that's something I that's something I have to work on also I I mean we I I feel like we're similar in a lot of ways we've probably spent the majority of our life sort of a complicated relationship with our identity I wanted I grew up in a predominantly white town I wanted to fit in I wanted to look like everybody else and so I didn't really talk about my culture and it reflected as I got older, I don't know what I should and I need to ask about it more and I need to talk about it more and I need to seek it out more. And I have yeah. I definitely feel that part of me has, as I've gotten older, has definitely been fulfilled. So I'm glad that, but you know, there are some people like us that won't do that still. They still want to fit in. Right. And so yeah. they don't mention it. And I think that's sad, but everyone yeah. has to do, everyone has to do what, what, you know, what works best for them, I guess, to protect themselves. Some of my favorite ways to expose, to expose people to different culture is being food. So inviting them to a hot pot experience. Yes. Some kind of like an open barbecue. I like to make dumplings for people. Like, yeah, I feel like it's like an easy, you know, people are like, oh, I know what dumplings are. I'll eat that. And I just want to get your take on what you thought after she retired from her career what happened to her life after that phase 
Well, truthfully, you know, even though in her mind she decided to retire, she from the entertainment business was not able to. And so eventually when she was no longer desirable, she was replaced and then tossed into a poorhouse is what I understand. Oh, and is that a period of time in the poorhouse, I'm not sure what happened to her, but I can imagine died from any sort of disease from living in the poorhouse, whether it was like, what did they call it? Consumption or whatever back then or tuberculosis or whatever. Um, if she was able to make it out of the poorhouse, gosh, I don't know how long she would have lived on her own without support. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because um, her English wasn't that. She okay. was able to speak English as she got older, but it probably wasn't. Yeah, you're probably you're probably right. It wasn't probably great. You know, there was that anti-Chinese sentiment at that time. Also, um, a lot of Chinese had to go into hiding, you know, well before the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1882 mm-hmm. so it's a dark dark place to go I I can only imagine what she went through or how much longer she lived after that so yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so I didn't know that part about her I just mm-hmm. yeah I, I was under assumption that you know when she was forced into retirement that no, no one had any records of where she went after that yeah I think the last uh, I think that's the last known thing about her is the poor house <sighs> Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't take a breather. Sorry, sorry to ruin the, <laughs> sorry to end the interview on that point. Oh, you know, yeah. it's facts, right? I'm not it here. Is. It's I'm the truth, right? To... You have to share things even if they're uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what really happened. So, yeah, I'm really hoping that people who watch the play can start to empathize with people no matter what color skin they are we could see past our differences and start treating people like they are people one last question I just thought of okay so you did like three weekends of all your performances and things like that what did you think was the what was some of the feedback that you got from the audience after your performance can you share some of those uh yeah a lot of people commented on how moved they were even though Things are different. Things are still the same in so many ways. Extremely moved, wonderful production. Some people said a little gutted, but in a good way with a question mark. Touched and appreciative. One person wrote, this is history now. Some people wrote optimistic. There was this long comment. Once again, we observe in the US and USA's history, the ongoing greed and mistreatment of others by white men. Knowing this history of Chinese people in America is important. So many important messages in this beautiful poignant play Robin and Amy, thank you. Yeah. But that's generally that's generally the gist. Very overwhelming in a positive way. I'm glad that people heard it, you know, heard the story as I wanted yeah. them to hear it. So what were the people's faces like at the end? What did you see in the audience? A lot of like, oh, lights. A lot of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of just looking at me. Sometimes people would look at each other, but the looks on people's faces were interesting. A lot of time felt like a lot of them had hope in their eyes at that point. And I liked that. Mm-hmm. like maybe hope for the better for maybe you know things will get better maybe so I have never done a show where I had so such close contact with audience members as far as like walking by them and looking at them in the eye yeah uh, I've never I always as a performer I always try to avoid looking people in the eye because I feel like it's gonna maybe mess me up or I'll lose focus but for this show it really helped me most people were with me like I could tell in their eyes they like wanted to hear what I was saying they were listening they wanted to know more so as a performer, that makes my job easier too, when you're with me. Yeah, well, it was a very, 
I've never been in a theater like that, but it was very small and intimate theater. Mm -hmm. Gosh, Amy, you did so good. I mean, you made me cry. Sorry I made you cry, but that's kind of the point. (laughs) Yeah, I had to, after the show, come introduce myself to you and just tell you what a fantastic job that you did. I think you were spectacular. Oh, thank Um, you so much. And I'm, I'm glad that we met and we could do this together. That's great. I think it's great what you're doing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Any last comments before we wrap up? This experience was great. I'm so appreciative by everybody who came and supported us. Three Bone Theater is a, a small company run by women, strong women. We've been going for 12 years and it's like the Chinese lady that keeps them going and keeps people interested in what they do. So thank you for supporting us. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Thank you so much yes. for your time today. Oh yeah. Thank you for having me. It's great. <laughs>